Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, June 7th. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you're going to notice two things right away. One, we're in a different room. This is a beautiful studio. Very lucky uh, to be here over the summer. Uh, and, and very, very happy. You also notice I'm wearing a new shirt. Someone reached out and sent me uh, three shirts. They're for the show only. Uh, very grateful. They look kind of professional. They made out of stretchier material because I'm weird and like comfortable shirts. Very, very happy. Uh, three things have happened since we last spoke. Uh, one, I got strep throat. That was awful. Never get strep throat. Not fun. Uh, two, if you watch my Instagram story, you saw that I moved my brother down to California. It was a blast. A lot of driving. I've been gone for a while, but it was awesome. And then I got this weird, nasty infection on my face. I got an ingrown hair on my face that got infect- infected. I had a bunch of antibiotics. It was not fun. Um, but we're back. I'm happy. Uh, the number one most important thing to me in this episode of the podcast is we're doing a Baker Mayfield film analysis. And uh, I worked, I-, I think it's the most I've ever prepared for any single topic on Strong Opinion Sports. I watched so much film. Um, I am uh, very proud of the work I did. And I hope you guys enjoy it later down the road. I want to start with this, though. The news of the day. Uh, Today, the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback Carson Wentz signed a contract extension, a four-year extension worth $128 million. Now, in total, his contract is now worth six years, $154 million. And a lot of people are DMing me asking me, Zach, what's your analysis? What do you think? And I just want to take the air out of this right away. There is no controversy here. There is no, it's not a surprise. It's not a shock. It's very obvious. Yeah, you sign Carson Wentz to a long-term deal worth a lot of money. That's just how it is. He's a fantastic quarterback. I want to make a comparison. Uh, There's a car I'm a big fan of. I will probably never be able to own one myself, but it's a Tesla Model X. It's a very expensive, high-end car. Uh, They're high-end. It's luxury. I watch a guy on YouTube named David Dobrik. He drives the car around the car. Excuse me. It's a self-driving car. So the car literally drives this guy all around Los Angeles. I'm like, man, that's, that's amazing. It looks awesome. To me, that's, that's luxury. That's incredible. It's very expensive. And um, I'm not sure, again, that I'll ever be able to buy one myself. But if I did buy one, I would expect to spend a lot of money. Because guess what? That's the price of the top of the line. If you want luxury, if you want a top, fantastic car, you spend a lot of money. Carson Wentz is a top-tier quarterback. Two years ago, Carson Wentz should have been the NFL MVP until 13 games into the season. The guy got hurt. And my dad called me today. My dad's talking about Nick Foles is great. They should have kept Nick Foles and got rid of Carson Wentz. You're at it. You're insane. It's it, no, 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 no. Carson Wentz is a special, special quarterback. I get it. I know that's polarizing. I know he's been hurt. You don't, you don't pass up on a guy like Carson Wentz. In 2017, he had 3,296 passing yards, 33 touchdowns, a 60% completion percentage. That's incredible. Now in 2018, last year, in fewer games, had also 3,000 passing yards, 3,000 passing yards, 3,074, 21 touchdowns, seven interceptions. Here's the thing that gets me that's really incredible. This statistic. I'm not a big stats guy. I don't really care. But this stat does impress me quite a bit. Last year in 2018, in 11 games, Carson Wentz had a 69.6% completion percentage. That's almost a 70% completion percentage. Unbelievable. 
when you mention the name Carson Wentz, the name belongs alongside with guys like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson, right? Carson Wentz is not in the top tier with, I think there's Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and then everybody else. But of the next wave of young quarterbacks that are the future of the NFL, Carson Wentz is there with them. He's a fantastic quarterback. It's a no-brainer to me, of course. If we're going to sign Carson Wentz, yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money. He's a high-end quarterback. He's the top of the line. He's once in a lifetime. You don't see a quarterback like Carson Wentz very often. And yeah, you pull the trigger, you spend a lot of money on Carson Wentz. He's well worth it. I'll do a film analysis someday explaining that. But people keep asking, what do you think of the Carson Wentz deal? It's a no-brainer. It's obvious. He's a great quarterback. And if you want top of the line, if you want a fantastic, incredible luxury car, you spend a lot of money. If you want a high-end, fantastic quarterback to stay on your roster long-term, you spend a lot of money. That's just the reality of the situation. And Carson Wentz is well worth the... I, I don't want to say that, right? He could get hurt. It's, very, it's, uh, it's obvious. He could get hurt. I'll acknowledge that. It, maybe he gets hurt. Makes me look stupid. But Carson Wentz, for what he's done in the past, it's a no-brainer. He's an unbelievable quarterback. Okay, let's move on to our Baker Mayfield film analysis. I'm just going to give you guys what you want right off the bat. Uh, I do want to mention very briefly, though, please, if you're listening to Strong Opinion Sports, do me a big favor. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. <laughs> uh, I probably I want to differentiate between SOS and me. My name is Zach Schaumler. My Instagram is at Zach Schaumler, and it would do a... It would be a very big help to me if you would follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to get to 10,000 followers so that I can leave links in my Instagram story. I love my Instagram story. It's very fun. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And I, if, you, if you like me, if you like my show, please, you never have to like a single thing I ever put on Instagram. You can just follow me and forget you ever did and just mute me or something. I don't care. But the follower count helps me because I can put links in my Instagram story. It'd be a big help. And uh, I would be very excited. Um, okay. Now, this, this topic, next one, this next topic is a topic I probably prepared more for than any topic in the history of strong opinion sports. Um, I worked very hard on this. I'm very proud. Um, and so I want to now talk about Baker Mayfield. So, um, Baker Mayfield, <laughs> what a guy. Um, after my hours of research and watching film, I'm, I'm pretty pro Baker Mayfield. I like the guy. He's the kind of quarterback that makes you pick a side, though. He's a very, at this point in his career, he's a polarizing quarterback. Now, when it comes to his ability as an NFL quarterback, he's really good. However, like all quarterbacks, the guy has flaws. He's not perfect. So what I'm going to do is lay it all out. I'm going to provide a roadmap of areas that I believe will help him take his game to the next level. And hopefully in the next year, in the next NFL season, in 2019, we will see uh, improvement from him and, and see him take leaps and bounds forward. So I want to start here. Anybody who tells you Baker Mayfield's size is a concern, simply wrong. His height does not affect him in the pocket at all. And the dude has a cannon. I, I'm no joke. I'm, I'm going to be very, very clear. If you are a young quarterback, copy Baker Mayfield's mechanics. The way the dude throws the football is so fundamentally sound. It's incredible. Um, the dude generates a ton of force with his legs and his core. Um, it, it really, it's fantastic. He torques his core and his legs really hard, almost very similar to the way a, a batter would hit a baseball. And that is why he can generate so much velocity and distance with a football. He might be half the size of Big Ben, 
but they throw the ball very similar and have very similar arm strength. I, I love Baker Mayfield's ability to throw the football. The dude's got a cannon. He's highly accurate. This is a number one reason why people, or at least a, a big reason why people should believe in Baker Mayfield as a quarterback in the NFL. The dude can win games with his arm. He can throw the ball in really tight windows. He can beat man coverage and he can win from the pocket. I'm sold. I watch that. I go, oh, that throw is different. That's special. That's a high level throw. Uh, there's a play against the Falcons where he works all the way as, as a rookie, by the way, as a rookie against the Falcons, he works all the way across the field, throws his backside read a backside comeback. It's a great play. It's a next level, big time throw. He's also not afraid to get hit. Baker Mayfield steps into his throws even when he knows he's going to take a big hit. Now, uh, when Baker was in trouble or he needed a big play, he would target Jarvis Landry, who is a really talented wide receiver. He's paid like a really talented wide receiver. Um, And then when I watched the Browns, what really stood out to me was not Jarvis Landry. It was the Browns tight end, David Njoku. I I knew David Njoku was really good, but his ability to catch the ball in traffic or, you know, catch the ball with people all around him was wildly impressive to me. Now, the Browns just traded for a top wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. And with Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry combined, they will demand a lot of attention from defenses. Now, I believe this is going to cause David Njoku to become a primary target on third downs and when Baker needs a play. And in a gimme situation, When Baker needs to play, the defense is going to put all their attention on everybody else. And David Njoku is going to get a great matchup. And he's going to have a lot of key catches next year, in my opinion, for the Cleveland Browns. Now, another Browns wide receiver, Antonio Callaway, did not impress me. He was the Browns' primary outside deep threat last season. And he did okay. Wasn't awful. But the guy left a lot on the table. And when I was watching him, I often found myself thinking, like, man, Odell Beckham Jr. would make that catch. Odell Beckham Jr. would make that play. Now, it's also worth noting another one of Baker's strengths is his ability to put the ball up. He can put the ball up. He can allow his receivers to make big plays. That's the kind of guy he is. I really think that Baker does a better job of that than Odell Beckham Jr.'s former quarterback, Eli Manning. OBJ and Baker's strengths really help each other. And if OBJ can keep his cool, they're going to be a fantastic match. The marriage in Cleveland between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. should be fantastic. OBJ seems like a great fit in Cleveland. Now, because of the weapons they added, because of the the talent around Baker, and it's been another year, so he's probably one year better. I, you know, it's totally reasonable to me to expect that Baker Mayfield's productivity will increase tremendously next season in 2019. I think he's going to look a lot better. I think the Browns' offense is going to look a lot better. But Baker Mayfield is not perfect. He was good last year. He was the best of all the rookie quarterbacks. But there is a big gap between the way that Baker Mayfield played last season and the guys at the top, guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees played. There's a layer of polish and a list of things that separate him from the best of the best. When you watch Baker last season, 
You notice that the dude was running around, extending plays. He was running around quite a bit. It was a big part of his game. That's how the guy plays football. And his ability to scramble led to a number of big plays for the Browns. But I want to be careful here because I don't want to discourage Baker running. Baker Mayfield running and extending plays is not necessarily a bad thing. But there is a flip side. For all the good plays that were generated, there were also dangerous throws. There were interceptions. Some of his best plays were made when he was outside the pocket on the run extending plays. And some of his worst plays were also made. Some of his worst interceptions and worst throws were made because Baker Mayfield was running around and throwing the ball out of rhythm. So sometimes Baker Mayfield ran around and extended plays unnecessarily at times when he did not need to. He needs to cut down on those plays. He needs to run less when he doesn't need to. Now, sometimes the Browns offensive line would screw up. They'd let a guy come free and Baker would make a move, throw a touchdown downfield. That's fantastic. I love that. If a play breaks down, there's a broken play, go be a playmaker. That's fantastic. I am not discouraging that at all. But running unnecessarily, that's what we don't want. We don't want him running when there's other options. Let's be honest. Baker can move a little bit, but Baker is not Russell Wilson. He's not as fast as Kyler Murray. He's not as fast as Lamar Jackson. He's unlikely to win a race anytime soon. He can run if he has to, but no more. No more than that. And there are a number of reasons why Baker Mayfield ran around and extended plays last year. Sometimes, in fact, he would get sacked because he did a poor job expecting the blitz, expecting pressure. And we'll talk about that down the road. But sometimes the Browns were simply in a bad situation. And instead of changing a play, Baker Mayfield would run the play and make something work anyways. Sometimes the Browns simply had a play called that the defense was really well prepared to stop. Now, here's the big difference between Baker and quarterbacks at the top, like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. So if Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are on offense, and the defense lines up across from them with a perfect play call to stop the Patriots' offense, what does Tom Brady do? Tom Brady would change the play call pre-snap. Drew Brees would change the play call pre-snap. If a defense has got the perfect play called against the Patriots offense, Tom Brady would counter and change the play before the ball is snapped. Teams like the Patriots, teams like the Saints are almost never caught with a poor play call because their quarterback would change the play before the ball is snapped. Now, last year when the Browns would line up against a defensive scheme designed to stop their play call, what was Baker's answer? Did Baker change the play? No, Baker's answer was to run the play anyway, and then he'd run around and extend the play and make something work. And it, it was somewhat successful, right? I'll be honest, like it worked sometimes. He would extend plays. It was great. That was a large part of Baker Mayfield's game last year is to make up for his shortcomings with knowledge by running around, extending plays. But Tom Brady doesn't run around. He doesn't need to run around. He never lets it get that far. And that's the biggest difference between Baker Mayfield 
Baker Mayfield and top tier quarterback, elite level quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Last year, Baker was limited by his understanding of defenses and his inability to change plays pre-snap. I don't know if that was coach mandated. I don't know if he didn't have the permission or maybe he didn't have the knowledge to do it. But either way, it was a limiting factor to Baker Mayfield's game. Now, often, I will acknowledge, right, often it works. He would make up for his shortcomings. He'd run around and make something work. Yes. But my guess is that as the years go on, Baker's going to scramble less often and instead work on the mental side of things. He's going to change plays pre-snap more often rather than running around. His answer to having a bad play call will be to change the play rather than running around and making something work. Another thing is that many times Baker did a poor job recognizing blitzes and understanding when teams were bringing pressure and where pressure was coming from. Young quarterbacks, you need to learn this. Please listen to me. You got to do two things. You got to first, you got to learn to recognize where pressure is coming from and learn to love. If a team blitzes you, learn to smile, be happy. That's a great thing to celebrate. Because what that means is there are fewer people in coverage. If they bring a man blitz and have man coverage downfield, guess what? You can beat man coverage with your arm. If you're confident in your arm, you're happy. You love that. But even better is if there's a zone blitz. What a zone blitz is where everybody's accounted for a zone and a defender leaves that zone to come to you. That means there's a space open on the field. If a linebacker blitzes, replace him with the ball. Throw to the area they are coming from. I love, especially when linebackers blitz. Oh, I love when linebackers blitz me. There was a play during week seven. It was the Browns versus the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers blitzed their inside linebackers, which left the middle of the field wide open. And instead of hanging tight in the pocket and trying to throw the ball over the middle, Baker tries to run around and takes a sack. He should have just hung tight. There's a guy wide open. Throw the ball to the open man. Now there's another play later in the year, in week 14 against the Panthers. Baker took a sack because he did not recognize pressure coming off of the edge. He should have just calmly thrown the ball where the blitzer was coming from. Hey, that guy's coming off the edge. I'll just throw the ball where he's coming from. There's now a vacated zone on the field. But instead, Baker tried to run away, got sacked, and he lost six yards. I mean, when the linebacker blitzed, Jarvis Landry was left wide open. Jarvis Landry, your top paid wide receiver, throw the ball. Be calm. Learn to love pressure. And Baker Mayfield needs to learn and do a better job at recognizing pressure and recognizing where pressure is coming from. All around, the guy needs to get better at understanding defenses. But more specifically, he needs to get better at manipulating defenses with his eyes. At times in 2018, last year, his rookie season, at times he stared down his wide receivers. Against the Chargers week six, he locks into his first read. He locks into David Njoku. His eyes never leave David Njoku. Makes it really easy for the defense to know where he's going with the ball. They step in front of it, grab an interception. Later in week 17, end of the year against Baltimore. Baker stares down a wide receiver. He might as well have had a sign on his forehead saying, hey, I'm throwing the ball to the left. You watch his eyes pre-snap. Watch his eyes pre-snap, watch his eyes post-snap. They never once look to the right. His eyes are left the entire time. 
They're constantly locked on the left side of the field. He never looks right. He stares down his receiver. The defense reads his eyes, tips the ball up, and grabs an interception. Another issue Baker had was late throws. Against the Chargers in week six, he made a throw late to Jarvis Landry. And people got mad at me during my college quarterback breakdowns when I said that at the NFL level, the ball needs to be thrown. The ball needs to be out of your hands before or as the receiver's making their break. This is exactly why. Jarvis Landry sitting there waiting for the ball, and what it does is allows the defender to make a play and knock the ball away. Now, later in the season, it got even worse. That habit led to an interception against Houston. Baker made a throw too late. Antonio Callaway's long time out of his break. He's just sitting waiting for the ball. And the defender steps right in front of him and grabs an easy interception. Baker also missed some easy throws. I praised Baker's accuracy, but the guy's not infallible. He's not perfect. He's occasionally inaccurate. He just missed random throws. He's got a tendency to sail throws over people's heads. Uh, His feet get too wide sometimes. And when he doesn't follow through and finish his throws all the way through, he throws the ball over people's heads. And on one occasion, he missed an easy touchdown. It was a pass on the goal line against the Raiders. And because of that miss, the Browns had to settle for a field goal. And guess what? They went on to lose in overtime. That missed slant was the difference in the game. Can't have that. Like, I know that's brutal. I know that's harsh. But that's the difference between Baker Mayfield and Tom Brady. Tom Brady does not miss that opportunity, does not miss that throw. Like, I'm not trying to trash Baker Mayfield. The point of this is to say that Baker Mayfield had a good year last year. He broke the rookie record for its touchdown passes. That's awesome. But the point is that he was far from perfect last year. He had a multitude of flaws. He struggled at times to read defenses. He didn't manipulate defenses very well. Last season, he did not compare well to guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. There's a big gap between Baker Mayfield and the guys at the top. He missed blitzes. He made late throws. He had inaccurate throws. He had interceptions on the run. He stared down some of his wide receivers. Baker Mayfield made a lot of good plays last year. Yes, he did. But there were also numerous things he can do better. And those small details are the difference between Baker Mayfield being a solid quarterback and an elite level quarterback. I'm rooting for the guy. I believe in the guy. But he's got flaws in his game and things he's got to improve like any quarterback does. And let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I like Baker. I think he's great. I think he's going to succeed. I believe in him. But those are things he needs to work on to take his game to the next level. I'm excited to watch. I can't wait to see what happens to Baker Mayfield. I'm rooting for the guy. I love his spunk. I love his attitude. But he's not perfect. And he's got a lot of things to work on to take his game to the next level and become an elite level quarterback. Oh, gosh. It's over. Yes. Oh, you guys have no idea how much that video and that topic was like a weight on my shoulders. I worked on that topic for days and days and hours and hours. I watched Baker Mayfield's entire season twice. <laughs> it killed me. Uh, real quick, I know it's summer, um, but my, are you like, I, like, I get it. I, I know, I, I know it's summer. 
But the sports media is killing me. It's awful. It's like it's they've been just particularly awful recently. There are two headline like two headline stories that just kill me recently. One of them is a rapper Drake. Drake, by the way, Drake is not a basketball story. I don't know if you're aware of that. Drake is not a sports story. He's at a basketball game. Great. But I'm getting so sick and tired of seeing Drake's face, the rapper, everywhere. I do not care. The other story I'm tired of is quarterbacks chugging beer. Eh, Don't care at all. That's not a sports story. That's a beer story. I didn't come for beer. I came for quarterbacks and sports. <sighs> just don't care. Like I, like, I know it's summer, but man, the sports media has just been particularly bad. Uh, we got a great show coming up today. I know we're already 30 minutes in. I got a lot of stuff coming up ahead. We're going to talk more about Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about the XFL. I had a meeting with someone who's playing in the XFL, a good friend of mine from high school. We're going to talk about Donovan McNabb. Should Donovan McNabb, I'll just, I'll say this. Donovan McNabb should not be a Hall of Famer, and I can prove it to you. We're going to talk about the NBA Finals. I'm going to clarify some things about the Patriots, about Johnny Manziel. And then at the end of the show, there's about a 40-minute segment, very long, uh, with a good friend of mine. I interviewed Tom Grossi. Tom Grossi is a Packers expert. He runs a Packers podcast on YouTube. And he's a role model to me. He's a good friend of mine. I, I talked with him yesterday for about 40 minutes. It's a great segment. Um, I learned a lot about the Packers, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to now shift gears now and move ahead, though, to another story in the world of the NFL. We're actually going to stick with Baker Mayfield. I wasn't, you know, I'm looking around. Yeah, let's stick with Baker Mayfield, and then we'll take a break after that. Um, so, there's been a recent feud in the NFL. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback on one side, versus Colin Cowherd, the Fox Sports broadcaster. And uh, it's, it's very weird. It's, very, it's a weird feud. Uh, one is weird because Colin Cowherd, for whatever reason, does not seem to believe in Baker Mayfield, which I, I watched all the film. I, I watched this season twice. I made a whole video about it. Um, if you don't believe in Baker Mayfield, you're kind of ridiculous. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're smoking. I don't know what's going on. He's a great quarterback. A very solid quarterback. Now, the other thing that's weird about this whole thing is that it's weird that Baker seems to care what a sportscaster thinks. Why does Baker Mayfield care about what anybody in the media thinks? He's above that. He should be above that. That was, I think, the the argument most people made. It's like, why does Baker care about this? Now, I will say, frankly, the feud seems like it's been great for both of them. Um, You know, it's a time of year where sports are really dead. There's not much going on. I'm sure it gives Colin a lot of content. That's fantastic. Now, Baker did it. Baker took this idea and made shirts about it. <laughs> he's selling T-shirts with Colin's name on it and all this. I think, I don't really know what the shirts say, but he's, making, he's using it to make profit off of it. Great, that's awesome. Now, I, I want to talk about both perspectives because from Colin's perspective, I, here's, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't really listened to anything he says, but my, my point is this, is that if you want to make an argument against Baker Mayfield, it's very easy to do that. If you want to make an argument anti-Baker Mayfield, here's what you do. You say, well, Baker was a rookie last year. And what that means is it's really just too early to tell. You go, oh, you know, uh, Robert Griffin III, he had a good rookie year and he, he really failed you know, long-term in the NFL. So a rookie season, a good rookie year is not enough for me to believe in a quarterback. If you want to make that argument, you can. Makes sense. You can also add if you want. You can say, well, Baker Mayfield plays for the Browns. 
the turmoil-ridden Browns. He's got a rookie head coach. He's playing with a new wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. There's plenty of wild cards. And if you want to make an anti-Baker Mayfield argument, you certainly can. Like, I, I get it. It's, it's viable. It's an option. I think you're silly. But you can do it. You can make an anti-Baker Mayfield argument with a lot of reasonable leaps and bounds and using all the wild cards at play. But more interesting to me is not the argument against Baker Mayfield. What's interesting to me is why does Baker care what anybody in the media thinks? And it's very simple to me. It's very easy for me to explain. If you go back years, Baker Mayfield has always cared what people think about him. Baker Mayfield uses that as fuel. That's the kind of stuff that motivates Baker. That's the kind of stuff that gets him out of bed. Now, the problem is this. When Baker Mayfield was a two-time walk-on, it was really easy to find motivation because plenty of people doubted him. You could tell myself, ugh, friggin' Texas Tech wouldn't give me a scholarship. I'm going to prove them wrong. It was very easy to be angry because he was an underdog. And it's really easy to find anger and inner motivation when you're an underdog. The problem is, the more success that you have, the harder it is to be an underdog. You got to remember, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. He's not an underdog anymore. He's not. People believe in Baker. He set the rookie record for touchdown passes. In my opinion, he's not even remotely an underdog. I get it. He plays for Cleveland. But they're turning things around. They got a great roster. Got a great fan base. I know Cleveland in general seems to love playing the role of an underdog. That's why Baker Mayfield fits really there. Really well there. Excuse me. But I I think that Baker Mayfield has got a weird struggle because that anger, that desire to prove everybody wrong is what got him here. And I doubt the guy knows of any other way to fuel himself. I really don't think Baker Mayfield knows how to draw motivation from any other type of emotion other than anger and this desire to prove everybody wrong. The guy needs adversaries. I'm going to tell you a story. When I was a sophomore in high school, uh, my quarterback coach, my, my coach at my old high school, I went to a different, I, I transferred high schools after my sophomore year. My, my first high school coach told me that I was too small to ever play quarterback in college. And it pissed me off, made me really angry. So what I did was I changed schools. Went to a new school, a better school. I broke all their records. We made it to the playoffs twice. I made it to college. I proved that guy wrong. I made it to college. Bam. Vindicated, right? But I had a problem. I got to college and I had no fire left. I had nothing left to prove. I made it. I, I, I had to go, now what? Now what's my motivation? And I, and I honestly couldn't find one. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I'd done it. I'd proved that guy wrong. I was like, well, well now what's the, uh, who's my adversary? I don't have one. And I think eventually Baker is going to need to find a new source of motivation. And I'm not talking about Colin Cowherd. I'm talking about anger. I'm talking about vitriol. Maybe not, right? Here's the problem. If, if, Colin Cowherd ever admits that Ma- Baker Mayfield's good, then Baker's screwed. Who will he have left to prove wrong? Because a lot of people, a lot of people believe in Baker Mayfield. I heard Jay Glazer the other day say he would rather have Baker Mayfield than Russell Wilson, which to me, that's ludicrous. 
But hey, like clearly people believe in Baker. I used to wake up every single morning of my life angry. I've done it. I did it when my brother died. I did it when I was mad at my coach who didn't believe in me and said I couldn't play in college. I've woken up angry for years and I found it incredibly unsustainable. It's not a sustainable source of motivation, at least in my journey, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Baker's a different person than me. I can acknowledge that. But I think we can all sit down and learn from this this situation. Sit down and ask yourself, what motivates you? What does? You know, a story came out the other day about Adam Humphreys, who was a wide receiver in the NFL, used to be with the Buccaneers. A story came out, he joined the Tennessee Titans instead of the Patriots. And a story came out saying, with Adam Humphreys saying that part of the reason why he didn't join the New England Patriots was because of Tom Brady's age. Now, how do you think Tom Brady felt about that? Think he got really pissed off? He probably did, right? He probably, maybe, right? Maybe Tom Brady was like, oh, that, that effer, I'm going to prove him wrong. But, but maybe, it's possible, Tom Brady just laughed at that. Was like, eh, eh, who are you? I don't care. Who are you to, eh. I genuinely have no idea, but it's fun to think about. What motivates guys like Tom Brady? What motivates guys like Baker Mayfield? Either way, I think it's overwhelmingly obvious that Baker is motivated by the desire to prove people wrong. The haters. Oh, the haters. I'm going to prove them wrong. That's Baker Mayfield's entire persona. That's what motivates him. That's who he is. And it's a strong motivator. I've been there before. But again, the more success you have, the more successful Baker Mayfield is. If he wins a Super Bowl, if he takes the Browns to the playoffs, the more success Baker has, the harder it will be to sustain that anger, that underdog feeling and motivation. Maybe he can. Possible. But to do that, you're going to have to latch on to every little negative thing people say about you. And it is really hard to keep going with that. Uh, now, now, recently in my own journey, uh, I have found that positive motivators work far better. They're more effective for me. They're more sustainable. I, I love making content. I stayed up till... Six in the morning yesterday morning. It's, it's 1.33 p.m. today. I was up at six in the morning working on Strong Opinion Sports, getting the show ready. And this is really cheesy, but that childlike joy, the enjoyment of I love making content, that is way more motivating to me than anger and hate. It's more sustainable. This is my perspective. But I, I make Strong Opinion Sports because I love doing it. Not because I'm like, oh, F that guy who said my videos were dumb or F that dumb comment or F the person that didn't believe in me two years ago when I started making content. Forget those people. I don't care anymore. I, I'm doing well. I love the show. I'm self-employed. It's fun. I'm having fun. I, I want to prove people right about me. I, I like making content. Who cares what the haters think? And it's, it's a far more sustainable source of motivation when you can get there. Forget the, forget the people that don't believe in you. Screw them. I believe in myself. I'm having fun. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of this entire situation other than to say that I think it's possible that Baker Mayfield's going to burn out. Or I think it's possible that Baker Mayfield's going to realize he needs a new source of motivation. I could be wrong. Maybe the hate and anger thing works for years. Very possible. But I think at some point, he's going to have to change his approach. Like Who wakes up angrier in the morning? 
Tom Brady or Baker Mayfield? <laughs> I, I believe I, I believe Baker Mayfield. Look, I, I met with a guy the other day who's been teammates with Baker Mayfield. He speaks very highly of Baker Mayfield. Said the dude is laser focused. I respect all of that. I'm a big fan of Baker. But I do have a concern that at some point, this anger stick, this... Uh, 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 I fear, and I might be unreasonable, but I fear that at some point, it's going to wear thin. And at some point, it's not going to work as motivation for himself anymore. Maybe not. I don't know the guy. Never met him personally. But I know in my own journey, that passion, that love of the game, love of the process, that's a far better motivator than, ah, F this guy. Because for me, it burned me out. It didn't last long term. So we'll see. This Baker Mayfield, you know, Colin Cowherd feud has been really fun to watch. Uh, I haven't watched much. I've just gotten updates from my friends. But I just... We'll just we'll see what happens. I'm I'm curious to watch what plays out. I'm curious really to see where Baker Mayfield is ten years from now. That's what that's what I'm excited to watch. Okay, I'm gonna take a short break in a minute. Uh, now, briefly before we do that, um, I want to say happy birthday to Pablo Espinoza. Um, he's a longtime supporter of Strong Opinion Sports. He's been very kind to me. Pablo, happy birthday! It's your birthday yesterday. Thank you so much, my man, for supporting Strong Opinion Sports. Um, it means the world to me. I hope you had a great birthday. I just want to say thank you. You know who you are. Um, and I, I love if I can do that ever. I, I, I just, that's fun to me. Um, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Donovan McNabb, why he is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm going to clarify some stuff about the Patriots, clarify some stuff about Johnny Manziel. We'll talk about the XFL. We'll talk about the NBA finals. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to play an interview with Tom Grossi, an interview I recorded yesterday with Tom Grossi, a Packers insider about the state of the Packers and, and what to make of the Packers going into next year. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I just want to say briefly, someone sent me a few shirts recently. Uh, they're amazing. We've got two blue ones, uh, this green one. I, I love them. They're my new podcast shirts. I'm going to wear them. Like They're only for podcasts. I'm not going to wear them out. And they are they're fantastic. They're golf shirts. And so they have like a collar and look a little more professional. But they're also, because they're golf shirts, they're made out of stretchy material. And they're comfortable. And I, I'm weird. I like comfortable and professional. And it's a perfect mix. And I, I just love them. So if you're out there, man, thank you so much. You know, a guy reached out to me on Instagram. If you're listening, man, thank you. Thanks, David. I really am so grateful for the shirts. Um, and I, I love them so much. So I, I just am really excited to have new shirts on the podcast that I like structure, not having to change things. So now I know I can look at my closet. I got three shirts. I only wear those three shirts for the show and I never need to really make a decision for me. That's a, like, the hardest decision I have to make is uh, green or blue. That's a great decision that makes me very, very happy. Um, I want to now talk about this. Oh, by the way, these shirts, like I get pit scenes really bad. There's basically no, no pitch stain. Like, it's really, I mean, it's fantastic. I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm in love with these shirts, man. I want to talk about um, <laughs> Donovan McNabb. So recently, a former Eagles quarterback, Donovan McNabb, <laughs> he said, he said that he should be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I, I just completely disagree, man. I, I, you know, I hope you listen to this whole topic. I think it gets stronger as it goes. Um, here's my big problem. Donovan McNabb says that he should be a Hall of Famer because of his numbers. He says that um, he's got better stats than former Cowboys quarterback Troy Aikman, who won a bunch of Super Bowls and got great numbers, but he played with you know Hall of Fame other players, like star players. 
And McNabb complains that Hall of Fame voters care more about Super Bowl wins than about statistics. And, I, you know, this is where you can disagree with me on this. This is my opinion. For me, the Hall of Fame has two criteria. One is you got great numbers. You got to have great numbers and it put out a, and a, there's got to be a piece of paper you can go, yeah, clearly, according to the numbers, the guy killed it, had a great career. But there's another criteria, and it's that can you tell the NFL story without this person? And it relates less to linemen and far more to quarterbacks and flashy players. Like, like linemen, I feel bad because you can tell the, like, linemen are rarely stars. But if they were, dang, right, they're in the Hall of Fame. But Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. And Barry Sanders never won a Super Bowl. But they were obvious Hall of Famers because they had a huge cultural impact and they had tremendous numbers. I acknowledge it might be a dumb part of my argument, but I, don't, I can't imagine anybody 30 years from now goes, man, Donovan McNabb, what a cultural icon. Nobody's going to say that. No, it's just not. It's not true. He's not. It's not who he is. He did not have a lasting impact on the story of the NFL. Dan Marino changed the game. Never won a Super Bowl, but he changed the way we viewed throwing the football. Donovan McNabb did nothing like that. But let's focus on the numbers for a minute. That's, that's what Donovan McNabb wants. He wants us to talk about statistics. So first, of course, um, yes, Donovan McNabb obviously has better statistics than Troy Aikman. Yeah. Uh, but newsflash, they played in different eras of the NFL. Eras where running the ball was far more prevalent and throwing the ball was much more difficult with different rules. Like, hello, you played in a different era. Of course, your passing numbers are better. Well, let's really dive into his numbers and examine Donovan McNabb's stats. He had 37,276 yards, 234 touchdowns in his career, and a 59% completion percentage. Ugh, 59% completion percentage. By today's standards, that's not great. But again, he played, he finished his career in 2011, so I guess we can cut him a little bit of slack. And those are honorable numbers for sure, right? If, if those are my college stats, dude, oh my. I mean, that's way too many yards to ever create, have possibly. But I would be very proud of that career. That's a really good, uh, an 11-year career. You should be very proud of that. Maybe it's a 12-year career. Could be wrong. Could be 12 years. But, you know, it's when I compare Donovan McNabb's stats to Carson Palmer's, who they played in roughly the same era. You know, Donovan McNabb played from 1999 to 2011. Carson Palmer played from 2004 to 2017. And I've gone on record before saying I do not believe that Carson Palmer, the former Bengals quarterback, the Raiders quarterback, the former Cardinals quarterback, I do not believe that Carson Palmer is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Great career. He's honorable. A great quarterback for his era. He's awesome. I had a good career. But not, a, not an NFL quarterback. Not a, not a Hall of Fame, excuse me. Not a Hall of Fame quarterback. So again, in my opinion, Carson Palmer, great career. Solid stats, never won a Super Bowl, is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Just, just didn't have a lasting cultural impact in the NFL. It's, you can tell the NFL story without him. Now, this is the bad news for Donovan McNabb. If Carson Palmer's not a Hall of Famer, then you also got to acknowledge, and if Donovan wants us to talk about numbers, he wants us to talk about stats. Well, Donovan McNabb's stats are not even as good as Carson Palmer's. <laughs> Hello, dude. Carson Palmer had over 46,000 yards. Donovan McNabb only had 37,000. 
Carson Palmer had 294 passing touchdowns. McNabb only had 234. Carson Palmer had a 62.5% completion percentage. Donovan McNabb had a 59% completion percentage. In every statistical category you can come up with, Carson Wentz blows Donovan McNabb out of the water. And yet you want me to focus on your numbers and that's your argument for why you're a Hall of Fame quarterback? It's silly. I think Donovan McNabb is just trying to get publicity, trying to get people to talk about him. Sorry, I guess I played the game, but I just, I, I really think it's silly. So if Carson Palmer's not a Hall of Famer, Donovan McNabb certainly is not. Neither has won a Super Bowl, and it's not all about Super Bowls. My dad and I had a discussion today. He was talking about how great Nick Foles is. Nick Foles is a good quarterback. He's not Carson Wentz, the quarterback of the Eagles. Winning a Super Bowl is not everything. Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl. That does not mean Trent Dilfer is automatically a Hall of Fame quarterback at all. Winning a Super Bowl does not necessarily mean Hall of Fame quarterback. But it usually means you are culturally relevant. It means you can, you're a part of the NFL storyline. Aaron Rodgers is a big part of the NFL storyline. Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's not really that culturally relevant. Unless he has like 10 more years and is incredible. Unless something very shocking happens, Joe Flacco is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Donovan McNabb is Joe Flacco. So for quarterbacks, it's a mix of cultural relevance and statistics. You know it when you see it. And I found an example that I went, yep, I know it when I see it. That's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Look at Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning had over 71,000 passing yards. He played from 1998 until 2015. He started before Donovan McNabb. He finished after Donovan McNabb. He had far more. So Donovan McNabb had over 37,000 passing yards. Peyton Manning had 71,000. That's a lot more. That's almost twice as many. Peyton Manning had 539 touchdowns. A 63.5% completion percentage. He won two Super Bowls. You know it when you see it. Carson Palmer. Great career, not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Donovan McNabb, bless your pee-picking heart. Great career, you're not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Peyton Manning, I don't want to see it. It's very obvious. Hit you in the face. Peyton Manning, obviously, was a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know it when you see it. When I look at Donovan McNabb, I don't see it. Donovan McNabb, relax. Chill, dude. You're good. You had a good career. I know you want some, some people to talk about you. I gave you that. I gave you that. I roasted you a little bit, but you deserved it because you're saying ridiculous things. Donovan McNabb is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. I want to clarify something. Um, I recently talked about the Patriots Super Bowl. And I said the Patriots had bad wide receivers and could not win matchups on the outside. So last year in the Super Bowl against the Rams, um, I, I... I, I, and I, I stand by what I said, right? I stand by what I said. I think I just worded it poorly. And I did a poor job clarifying what I meant. It really, if you want to hear my opinion on last year's Super Bowl, go back to February. Watch what I said. In the Super Bowl against the Rams, the Patriots could not win matchups on the outside. Their outside wide receivers were a problem. They had Cord- Cordell Patterson and Chris Hogan and they could not win one-on-one matchups. Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib locked those two guys down. Now, everybody was quick to point out, because I I didn't do a good job clarifying that the problem was the Patriots had 
not very good outside wide receivers. I meant to say outside. I did a poor job clarifying that. Everybody was quick to point out that Julian Edelman, a Patriots wide receiver, Julian Edelman, a Patriots wide receiver, won the Super Bowl MVP. And yes, great, but he's a slot wide receiver. He's on the inside. He wasn't matching up with Aqib Tlaib and Marcus Peters. He's matching up on their nickel corner, which is their third string corner, or he's sometimes even a linebacker. He's a slot receiver. Julian Edelman lines up on the inside. I was talking about the outside wide receivers. My point was this. Don't miss the point of the segment when I talked about why the Patriots are probably going to win the Super Bowl again. The Patriots last year won a Super Bowl, even though they did not have good enough outside wide receivers. Cordero Patterson, Chris Hogan. They didn't have good enough outside wide receivers to win one-on-one matchups on the outside. They couldn't beat Marcus Peters. They couldn't beat Aqib Tlaib, and they still found a way to win the Super Bowl anyways. Now, oh, the Patriots drafted Nikhil Harry, a wide receiver out of Arizona State. Not only are they the same team that won the Super Bowl, they have a better defense, and they now have a wide receiver who can win matchups on the outside, who can beat Aqib Tlaib who can beat Marcus Peters occasionally. They can now win matchups on the outside. If you're looking at the Patriots, you're horrified. They have an easier schedule, a better defense, and guess what? They now have a number one wide receiver that they haven't had like that in a couple, since really since Randy Moss, they haven't had a high quality number one wide receiver. They've had Rob Gronkowski last year, who was a shell of himself. If you're looking at the Patriots, their wide receiving core is now terrifying. Because they added Nikhil Harry. That's my point. I wanted to clarify it. Again, if you want to go back to February, watch what I said about the Super Bowl. I've been very consistent. I just did a poor job in my Super Bowl video about the Patriots. I did a poor job clarifying the difference between an inside wide receiver and an outside wide receiver. Last year, the Patriots had bad outside wide receivers. Now they have Nikhil Harry, who's a good outside wide receiver. He's going to win a lot of matchups. And if you're watching the NFL, if you whether you like the Patriots or you don't, It's pretty terrifying (laughs) the fact that they're going to be able to win matchups like that next year. It's terrifying. It's scary to look at the Patriots next year and go, they just won the Super Bowl, and they got even better. Ooh, that's horrifying. I also recently talked about Johnny Manziel. I said that Johnny Manziel made me sad. And I, I want to explain that in case anybody missed my point. A lot of people left comments saying that, you know, how could you feel bad for Johnny Manziel? La, 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 la. I just, I'm not, no vitriol here, right? I just want to explain my, my heart and my soul and my feelings. Um, but Johnny Manziel seemed like a spoiled brat, right? I'm not defending Johnny Manziel's character at all. And I don't, I, I, I even, there's a line in that video, my breakdown of Johnny Manziel. I said like, he's got a lot of undesirable traits that are not attractive at all. And I, I understand completely why so many people don't like Johnny Menzel. In fact, I understand why people hate Johnny Menzel. I get it. He left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. He was, his behavior was not very honorable. His behavior was not very, uh, not something, I wouldn't want my kids to act the way Johnny Menzel did at all. But personally, Johnny Menzel's story still makes me sad. It's a story of a guy who's delusional who never had a realistic viewpoint of himself. And he wasn't helped by the people around him. Everybody told him he was the best. 
And he seemed to buy in. And Johnny Menzel seemed to believe, yeah, I'm above the law. I'm better than everybody. I'm amazing. I'm the star. I'm Superman. And he wasn't at all. And, and that makes me really sad as, as, a, as a human. Forget a sports analyst. Forget this. Forget that. Johnny Menzel's story makes me sad because it's a guy, it's a story of a guy who not only lacked self-awareness, but also who couldn't get his, his stuff together off the field. His marriage fell apart. He failed in his career miserably. I'm sure he spent a bunch of money, lost a bunch of money. I, I get it if you hate Johnny Menzel. I understand. I totally, totally, totally understand. Got a lot of undesirable traits. But as a human being, I, I just, I, I personally feel bad for the guy. His, his delusional viewpoint of himself makes me sad. Got kicked out of the CFL, failed in the NFL, lost, his wife left him. I, I find myself rooting for Johnny Menzel because I feel bad for him. I want to see Johnny Menzel. I want to see Johnny Menzel, the human, succeed. And his story just sad to me. You know, people who crash and burn that hard makes me sad. I, I get it. You can hate him if you want. A guy who fell that far and is that delusional and just doesn't understand. Like my biggest fear in the world is to not have self-awareness. I try to be very honest about my shortcomings. I have a little bit of a lisp. I'm an average looking guy. I'm, you know, a seven out of 10. I'm okay. Good. I'm not a 10, not a Hollister model at all. Got a little belly fat. Not the fastest. I have a weak, you know, I'm an average arm at quarterback. I try to know my weaknesses. And, and Johnny Menzel clearly did not know his weaknesses did not know his shortcomings. He thought he was the best. And when people are delusional and people don't have self-awareness, I just feel bad for them. I just, I had a bully back in high school. Um, a guy, well, earlier in life, not high school anymore, like fifth grade through like middle school. And the guy was just, you know, looking back on him now, I go, oh, poor guy. Got a kid, hates his life, probably sells insurance. Yeah, sell insurance, fine. It's not the career I want. I don't want a kid that in my in my age. I'm young. I, I just I don't know. I just, I just look at his life and I go, I'm not I'm not envious of your life at all. And I think he's a bit delusional. And and just people like that, I don't mean to sound condescending. It just makes me sad. And people don't have an accurate viewpoint of themselves. Makes me really really sad. So hate Johnny Menzel if you want. I think he's more of a sympathetic character who simply did not have an accurate viewpoint of himself at all. And he wasn't helped by the people around him. Okay. Um, I met with somebody recently who is playing in the XFL next year. So I, I met with someone, met with a good friend of mine, played with him in high school. Um, he's going to be playing in the XFL next year. And I learned something really, really cool about the XFL and the way the XFL views itself. So the XFL is not trying to be the NFL. Not trying to compete with the NFL. But the XFL is also not trying to be what the AAF was. The Alliance of American Football was an alternative football league, a development league that failed. They wanted to be a feeder league into the NFL. And that was the AAF. The XFL is not trying to do that. Uh, my friend made a comparison to me about the XFL that helped me wrap my head around the entire thing. Here's the comparison that was made. He said that the XFL considers itself to be like Major League Soccer in America, the MLS. So in the world of soccer, there are two major leagues. It's in Spain, there's La Liga. 
and in Europe, there's the English Premier League. And that's where all the best soccer players in the world go. Either the English Premier League or La Liga. So all the top soccer in the world, those leagues equate to the NFL in this, this example. Now in America, there's the MLS, which is for lower level players who aren't really good enough to play in Europe. Or they're players who played in Europe for a little bit, they're washed up and want to get a couple more years out of their career and a, couple, a, little bit, a paycheck for a little bit longer. The XFL views itself like the MLS. They're not trying to get players as good as the NFL. They're not trying to compete with the NFL. And they're also not trying to be a feeder into the NFL. They want to be a landing spot. The XFL wants to be a place where players can have full-length entire careers playing in their league. I want to be a landing spot for guys. Instead of, you know, if you're a fringe NFL player, you're like 53 guys make an NFL roster. If you're like 52 through 56, and, and by the way, I heard this the other day, the NFL is far more competitive. Like the bottom half of a roster now is more competitive than ever. And if you're tired of getting cut and moving from city to city and you just want stability and you want to play in the same place for a while and, and actually get on the field and be a, be a player, if you're a journeyman in the NFL who's tired of getting cut and moving around in the NFL every year, then what you can do is go to the XFL and build a career and be in the same spot, be in Dallas, be in Seattle for eight years and not move your family and have stable income that never changes and have insurance and have reliability and be a star and own that and be Dallas's XFL team star. You can do that if you want. The XFL views itself as a lower level alternative to the NFL. Another thing you can do, if you're a guy who played eight years in the NFL and you're tired, your knees hurt, and you got really, you could play for three more years, but you're not the same level you were before, go to the XFL. Get three more years out of your body, get more paycheck. And rather than, instead of quitting football, play for a couple more years in the XFL. That is how the XFL views itself. Far more like the MLS and the way the MLS relates to the European Premier League, the English Premier League. It's far more the MLS than it is anything else. The XFL is not trying to be minor league football. It's not trying to be AAA baseball. It's not trying to be the G League in the NBA. The XFL is trying to be another self-sustaining league where guys can create entire careers, play good football, be the man, be the face of a franchise, just like people are in the MLS. The XFL is trying to be more like Major League Soccer, and that viewpoint made things make way more sense to me. When I heard that, I went, oh, that could work. That makes sense. The MLS, I have friends. I live in Portland. We have the Portland Timbers. Everybody in Portland loves the Timbers. It could work. I think the XFL is really off to the right start. My friend believes in it. He chose not to play in the AAF because he didn't believe in them financially. He believes in the XFL. His agents believe in the XFL. I think the XFL is going to work. Football people I know believe in it. Executives of networks clearly believe in it. Fox Sports, ESPN, Fox Sports 2. Clearly. People believe in the XFL. There's more money behind it. I believe the XFL is going to work. I like their business model. And when you compared it, when my friend compared it to the MLS in our meeting, it made far more sense to me. And I went, oh, that makes sense. And that could work. One more story about the XFL. The XFL is a new professional football league. In case you don't know, uh, and the rules are slightly different from the NFL. The NFL does not allow people to join their league until you've been out of high school for three years. 
Now, the XFL has gone out of their way to make it abundantly clear the rules are different in their league. They do not have this year of three years, this rule of three years. The XFL does not want the same rules and restrictions of the NFL. They are going to let people join as, whenever they want. And now next, I read a story about the University of Michigan running back, Chris Evans. Ironically, the same name of the guy who plays Captain America. They are different people. Chris Evans was suspended for the 2019 college football season. He's had an academic hold, and it was not Michigan football that suspended him. It was Michigan, the university, said, you can't play football. Your grades suck. You can't play. Now, Chris Evans seems pretty committed to Michigan. He said in many interviews, I love Michigan. I'm here. I think he's been there for three years. He's very close to getting his degree, I would assume. Chris Evans seems committed to staying at Michigan. But when I heard that story, it did get my brain rolling, and I realized that once the XFL starts up, I believe it's only a matter of time before players, I don't think Chris Evans, but players like Chris Evans, who run into trouble with the NCAA. They get suspended, they have violations, whatever. Instead of waiting out their suspensions, instead of taking dumb classes in college, they're football players. For better or worse, they don't want to take classes. They want to play football. And if they have an easier alternative in the XFL, they might just do that. It's very possible that's what people do now. Leave college and join the XFL. Maybe if you're good enough out of high school, you're like, I want to get paid now. My family needs money. I don't want to do these weird pretend deals with Ohio State or whatever, you know, Missouri or Michigan or whatever. What's the uh, that school? Uh, Mississippi. Ole Miss was paying players. Um, by the way, I have no insight. I listed a bunch of names. I have, I have no idea. My point was this. Maybe high school players will say that they want to immediately get paid out of high school. I think it's a matter of time before guys are going to be joining the XFL rather than going to college football. Guys are like, I need, I need to get paid. I need to help my family. I'm going to the XFL. What's going to happen? I think if you can get a degree, I, I think, especially if you're already in college, if you're three years into your degree, don't leave early. Get your degree. I, I do believe in, in having a piece of paper, that silly, dumb college piece of paper that says, I got a degree from the University of BS. And I think it does help you. It matters uh, in life. Your life will be a little better from what I, I've observed. And my friends, the ones who have college degrees tend to make more money. But some guys are, are going to say, man, I'm going to the XFL. I'm going to leave. I don't, I don't want to take classes. I don't care about pottery, geology, English studies. I don't care about, I don't want to write papers in English class in college, English 101. I'm a football player. I'm 6'6", 275 pounds in English 101. No way. And that guy is going to leave and go to the XFL. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And, I, and I'm curious to see, just kind of track. It's going to happen at some point. And I'm excited to see, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not excited. I'm curious to see what happens here. And if, if, the, if the NCAA, if college football is losing players, because that's really, the XFL's competitor is college football more than anything. Does the NCAA have to eventually, will they eventually have to change their ways to compete with the talent leaving and going to the XFL? Maybe, probably not, right? Probably not. But I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to watch how that all unfolds. Okay, uh, one more story before we go to Tom Grassi. We'll take a short break in a minute. Um, I want to talk about the NBA Finals very briefly. Uh, it'll be brief because I'm recording this on Friday at 2 p.m. And uh, tonight is NBA Finals Game 4. And I, there's no way I can get this out before the game happens. Um, the Raptors lead the series currently 2-1. to one. 
it's going to change tonight, whether it's three to one Raptors or two to two Raptors Warriors. So game four is tonight. By the time this happens, you'll already hear it. But I just want to say I'm thoroughly enjoying the NBA Finals. They're fun. They're great. And if you told me before the season that three games into the NBA Finals, the Raptors would be leading the Warriors two to one, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, no way. That's not going to happen. You're insane. And here's what kills me. The way the media is covering the NBA Finals drives me nuts. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. I, I just, oh my God. I'm going to, because I would cover it differently, but I'm, I'm in a rush and it's the game's in four hours. So I even try now. But I wanted to say like, there are so many good storylines. You can argue that Kawhi Leonard is the best player in the world. You could, you could really, if you want, I think you should give more credit to the Raptors. The Raptors are playing really well. The question becomes, like, how bad do the Warriors need Kevin Durant? Should he stay? Because clearly they're not winning without him. People keep saying the Warriors are great without Kevin Durant. Well, eh, not really. And they also need, they need Clay Thompson back. Then there was this Kyle Lowry incident, which to me is quite obvious. I don't know how anybody can do anything but side with Kyle Lowry. You know, a minority investor for the Warriors was on the sidelines, and he pushed Kyle Lowry. Then the NBA suspended the guy for the entirety of the rest of this year and the entirety of next year. And that's great. My only question was, should it have been longer? I mean, it's, there's no controversy there, but there's my point is that there's a plethora of really good stories. And the one storyline that keeps being shoved down my throat. Every time I go on social media by the entire sports media world is Drake, Drake, a rapper, Drake. Dude, I don't care. I do not care. Drake is not an NBA storyline. It drives... Sorry, I'm getting... Ooh, ooh, relax, Zach. Getting really fired. I do not care. Drake is not Spike Lee. Spike Lee already happened. It's old. And the fact that, like, wh- when did that happen? The, the 80... Like, 80... I have, I have no idea what year Spike Lee happened. But the really, the truth is that this NBA final, 2019 NBA final storyline, is just Spike Lee. It's not really Drake. Drake is so annoying. I'm seeing the dude's face everywhere. I kind of like some of his songs, but I'm beginning to hate the guy. And the way he conducts himself is ridiculous. I just am like, I I don't care about Drake. I'm tired of seeing his face. And there are far better storylines right now in the NBA Finals because the Raptors could actually appear to be able to win the whole thing. The Raptors have a chance to win the finals. And we're talking about a rapper on the sideline. Every single play, the camera cuts to Drake. I do not care. I'm sick and tired of it. I want Drake to go away. And I hate the way the media is covering the 2019 NBA Finals. It drives me, oh, it drives me nuts. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Get all, I'm not a fan. I'm angry. And I'm Batman. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But I, I just, uh, we'll talk about the NBA Finals on Monday next week when I do another episode. But we'll do it more in depth. I got a whole weekend to write about the NBA Finals. But I just, I wanted to say, I am so sick and tired of the Drake story. I don't care. I do not care. And I've spent seven minutes talking about it on my podcast. So I, I'm a total hypocrite. But man, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do a, I'll play the Tom Grassi interview. Tom Grassi is one of my best friends in the world. Uh, that's, that's an exaggeration. We have a budding bromance. How about, how about that? Uh, we were really good internet friends. I love his content. I consider myself part of the Grassi Posse Packer Nation. I'm not a Packers fan, but I just, I love people who make good work and Tom Grassi does that. So next, if you want to listen to 41 minutes of me and Tom Grassi talking about the Packers, uh, that will be coming up. Ed. But before we take a break, I want to say this. 
If you're struggling, please go get help. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, you may or may not know in 2016, my younger brother died. My younger brother uh, was 17 years old and he took his life. Student council president, great kid, had a 4.0, loved him, took his life. And it sucked. And this, this issue is very important to me. Um, my brother never shared his struggles with anybody. And um, this, this is a, a, an issue and a, a suicide in general is a, a topic that um, strikes a, a chord with my soul. And so I just, I wanted to speak out. If anyone listening to this podcast is struggling with suicidal thoughts, I, I, I'm begging you, please talk to somebody. Go get help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Um, it's not a glamorous topic to talk about. In fact, some people have told me just to avoid it because it's bad for my brand. I don't care. Um, it's a real thing that matters to me. And if you're struggling, please go get help. Please talk to someone in real life. I can't encourage that enough. My brother and I would play Halo once a week. And uh, I had no idea um, that Zane was having a hard time. Didn't know. And I would, I would give anything to go back and, and ask. You know, I wish I could go back and say, hey, Zane, are you doing okay? And I didn't really do a good enough job. So if you're listening, there's two sides of this, man. If you're, if you're having a hard time, please go get help. Go talk to somebody. And if you know someone in your life, whether they're struggling or not, just ask your friends, ask the people in your life. My best friend, Shelby, my best friend, Jared, my best friend, Nathan. I ask them all the time, dude, how are you doing? Because they might be going through something and you have no idea. So two points of this, man. Reach out to your friends. Ask them, how are you doing? Are you doing good? If you need anything, I'm here for you. The door is always open. I will always listen. Tell your friends that. If you love people, tell them you're there for them. You're willing to listen to them and want to be there for them. And please, if you're struggling, go get help. Please go talk to somebody. My brother never talked to me. And um, it, it broke my heart. And so um, I just ask, if you're struggling, please go get help. Right. Um, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going uh, to take a short break. I'll be right back. It's going to be hard. I have to introduce the segment in a minute. And that's going to be difficult. Um, but I, I, I just, uh, I love my brother Zane. I miss him very much. And um, if you're struggling, do me a favor. And uh, please go get help. <sighs> uh, all right, we are back. Um, yesterday, I called my friend Tom Grassi. Uh, I got him on the phone. We did an interview. Tom Grassi is a Packers expert. That's the word I would use with him. Um, he's got his own podcast, uh, PackCast, the Packers podcast. I'm a big fan of him. Please go check him out. Look up uh, Tom Grassi on YouTube, T-O-M-G, oh God, I got to spell this right, Grassi, G-R-O-S-S-I, Tom Grassi, or if you're watching on YouTube or I think even on SoundCloud, there's a link in the bio. There's a bio usually on everything. I'm going to leave a link to Tom Grassi stuff in the bio. Um, it's cell phone audio. So next, I'm going to have Tom Grassi on regularly to talk about the Packers. And uh, next time, I'm going to record it differently with he's going to have his microphone audio and he's going to Dropbox me an audio file. But for now, I have cell phone audio. I have a special, um, the same machine that, you know, radio stations use. I got a hold of one. And so that I record cell phone audio that way. And uh, we had a great conversation. Um, I, I learned a lot about the Green Bay Packers. They are a really intriguing football team coming up. And again, Tom is just a great human being. And so, I mean, it's just going to end, this is going to end really abruptly, and the interview is going to start really abruptly, but please enjoy my interview with Tom Grassi. Well, I don't know, Zach, three minutes late, oh, <laughs> I just, oh, man, it's, 
not <laughs> off to a good start, man. I mean, like, listen, I was only going to give you five minutes, and I was just going to, like, fly through some stuff. And, you know, now we're down to two. So, you know, let's uh, let's get it going. How you doing, bud? Dude, first of all, man, thank you so much. I You, you know this. We've talked before. I love, absolutely, I love your content, love what you do. And I'm a big fan of you, and the way you carry yourself is awesome. So, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time, man. This is sweet. I'm doing well, and, and I hope you're doing well as well. I am. I am. We're all doing well. Yes, uh, things are things are wonderful. Absolutely, yeah, man. Uh, I appreciate you you having me on. It's always good. Next week, I have. I'm on a podcast that I think has 18 followers. So that'll be, <laughs> this will be a little bit different. Just like just by a smidge, though. So. I, I I hope we can send people your way, man. I uh, as again, like I said, I'm just a fan of you and who you are, and I look to you as kind of a Packers insider. Like if if I had one, it'd be you. Does that make sense? I mean, I just I love your content. You're you know far more about the Packers than I do, and so when Packers stuff comes up, I, I'd hope in the future to lean on you because I really I love your perspectives. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, um, all the other quote unquote. I, I, <laughs> it's so weird. Like when I started doing this, like so this was. 2014 i started doing this yeah. and like I, I, i'm a dude who lives in new york who's a packers fan and like i was shocked at how many like packers podcasts insiders shows whatever the hell you want to call it was yeah. i was like oh i'm doing something niche no one's doing this and then i was like <laughs> oh no everybody's doing this <laughs> so uh, i i appreciate there's there's a lot of places to get packers content can we can we talk about the Packers' new head coach? Because I'd, I'd like to go through a rundown of what's happened recently and then get your perspective. You know, the Packers hired this new head coach, Matt LaFleur. And then right after that, an article came out detailing and really discussing Aaron Rodgers' behavior. And it, to me, made the Packers quarterback look really, really bad. And, we, you know, you watch games, you see the guy, he's, got a, he's, he's giving receivers, he's staring down wide receivers, he's always got this horrible look on his face. And because of that, I really struggle to have faith in Aaron Rodgers. He's wildly talented, yes, but do you... Where do you fall in all of this? I, I there's this new young coach coming in. He's 39. Aaron Rodgers is 35. I see a clash coming. Am I crazy? Where do you fall in all of this? Yeah. So like when that article came out, like that was like the epitome of what was going on in like the Packers universe. And if you read it, and it, and it was it was a long article. It was a well sourced article. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people like attacked the journalist who made it afterwards, and mm. they were like, "Oh, well, these are all anonymous sources." And I'm like, "That's just." journalism That's how it is. and like yeah, they, they, yeah it, it is and obviously there was guys like your michael finley or greg jennings that were, were quoted extensively in it who do have a a history with rogers and speaking out against him and and all that but just from like the minute i looked at it i was like wow like this is the fact that it even exists is bad so if you looked <laughs> yeah. at it and were like even if even half of it is true right because i don't I don't think everything that's written in there is gospel. I don't sure. think that it's a hundred percent accurate, mm-hmm. but even if half the stuff is true, you're looking at that and you're like, yikes, like that's a, that's a problem. And while the, the tensions between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers have been alluded to for years, yeah. ever since like the, even after like the 15 and one season, they, they've been mm-hmm. there. And so uh, when, when I first read it, I was like, okay, this is a really bad look. And then I, I wound up because people kept asking me about it i think i did like a 40 minute video you on did it and was like okay yeah and i was like this is the last time we're ever going to talk about this like i am going to go so ridiculously in depth about this and then we're never going to speak about it again and so I, I think at the end of the day i think 
under Mike McCarthy, and, and this you've seen the signs coming back in the 2014 NFC Championship game, like against the Seahawks, and where yeah. we blew it in the last like four minutes with conservative <laughs> play calling and Brandon Bostic and, and a uh. number of other issues. But when, when you saw that, and you're like, okay, you know, maybe it's time for a change, because not saying McCarthy is not a good coach, I think he's an excellent coach. I think the problem was is that things got very stagnant very quickly. And it got to a point where you had Aaron Rodgers, he was forced to do more and more and more and more. And, you know, you look at a team like, let's just say, for example, like the Lions, right? They come up in this conversation in that you have a, a somewhat team built around them and you're like, okay, what's missing about the Lions? The Packers, they haven't had a defense since 2014. And right before that, they didn't have a defense since 2010. So they had like two good to three good seasons of an actual defense. They, then they make Aaron Rodgers be like, hey, bud, can you go out there and get us to the playoffs? I mean, like the run the table yeah. season literally is Aaron Rodgers. Like that's mm-hmm. all it is. Like yeah. it is Aaron, we had no run game. We had no defense. And there's, there's this amazing shot at the end when they beat the Lions at the end of the regular season. They get into the playoffs where Rodgers is just like sat down. He's leaning against his locker and he's like, all right, I did it, guys. <laughs> what, what else okay. can I do? <laughs> so I, I feel like, and this is not justifying any of the stuff that was potentially in the report. Yeah. Um, again, I think that some of it was overblown, but I think Aaron Rodgers, as he has admitted multiple times, is a super competitive guy. When you have guys who are not playing to their potential, like the rookie wide receivers from last season, whether it's dropping balls or not running routes correctly, what have you, and considering that he's always been surrounded by guys like Jordy Nelson or Randall Cobb, guys who know him, right? Yeah. They're, and that, that's gone now because Randall Cobb was injured and now he's off the team. And then you had Jordy Nelson, who obviously went to the Raiders. And it, it's just a matter of, I think, for only so long you can say, we have this amazing quarterback that we are going to fully rely upon and then get pissed off when he decides to be like, all right, like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do now. And, and I, I feel like, yes, there is some kind of, like issue with being like, hey, you're you're not bigger than the Green Bay Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers, while there is no team right now without Aaron Rodgers because that's just how the team is built, I, I think it's a matter of, okay, you have Aaron Rodgers, he's off and running, and Ryan Grant said something similar in the article, and it, it got to a point where he was changing, like, plays, you know, in the huddle, and, <laughs> yeah. like, McCarthy oh, yeah. was, like, calling plays, and he's like, oh, no, we're not doing that anymore. And, like, yeah, that's a problem, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, with Matt LaFleur coming in and considering there are so many changes happening, whether it's the GM, whether it's uh, Mike Pettin coming back for a second year, Nathaniel Hackett coming in as the offensive coordinator, and, of course, Matt LaFleur, the fact that we're actually signing free agents. Finally. I think all of this, yeah. finally, yes, literally finally. You know, Ted Thompson, <laughs> as, as good of a GM as he was, he was very conservative when it came to signing free agents. And I think that... This is, I mean, this has been said by fans for years of just like, oh, we're wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime. Yeah. And while, you know, you don't want to turn into like the Denver Broncos, right? You don't want to like basically spend everything, you have a Super Bowl ring, and then you're kind of like in years of mediocrity <laughs> afterwards, yeah. right? Like you, you, you fell off the cliff. And you see teams do this all the time. I mean, like if you have the Rams, for example, you know, they're spending a lot of money. If they don't win a Super Bowl within the next two years, you know, I, if you're an L.A. fan, do you say that this is like a failure? You know, you, you show up to the Super Bowl once, you know, it wasn't a pretty Super Bowl, but you did. And then it's a matter of, okay, like, what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to kind of mortgage out your future for like for the benefit of winning or potentially going to the Super Bowl? Because there's no guarantees. I've always said yes, if I may. Are you saying you wouldn't? Like, if, if I had the chance to give 
everything to win a Super Bowl now or even get to the Super Bowl now. I think I would. Am I wrong? I mean, is that not the, the view, like your viewpoint? I, I, I struggle with this so much because, so two years ago was the first time that the Packers hadn't made the playoffs. I think it's since 2008. Yeah. It, was some, it, was some, it was some number like that. Because they've been consistently good and, for years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they were in it for years and years and years and years. And it always made it exciting. Like, you always were going to see the Green Bay Packers we're always playing in, the mix. in December, January. You were going to see them there, right? Yeah. Sometimes they went out in the wild card because they didn't have a defense, but <laughs> you were going to see them there. Yeah. And, I, and I think that since there are no guarantees, and I, and I understand where Ted Thompson's coming from, is that, like, you could go out and you could sign, like, a lucrative deal with free agents you know, there's sometimes that that just like doesn't work out. Yeah. Like I remember the the safety. I don't remember his first name, but Bird, the guy that was. Um, oh my god, he signed with the Saints a few years ago. Sure. And I remember the like Packers faithful were like, "Oh my god, we need to sign this guy." We need to, <laughs> and we we had no safety, so it, yeah. it was definitely a valid argument. But the Saints overpaid him, gave him a crap ton of money, and he didn't do anything for the Saints. And yeah. so, like, free agency is su- like you don't get Khalil Max falling in your lap every day. And so I feel like yeah. just because you're super aggressive in free agency doesn't necessarily equate to success. And so the fact that Gutenkunst is going out and he's like shoring up all of his bets and being like, okay, we got all these people now. Yeah. Now let's little let, like let's make a run for it. I think you're going to see a very different Green Bay Packers team than you have seen in previous years because I, I even I, I talked to Mark Murphy about this and I said. <laughs> How can the Eagles or the Vikings with their backup quarterback go to the NFC championship game slash win a Super Bowl when our starting quarterback goes down and we literally don't have a shot? And we're just winning a game. It's yeah. very difficult. And he's like, yeah, that, that's a good question. <laughs> so it, 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 It's just a matter of everybody right now, I think this season is going to be looking at Aaron Rodgers because he's coming out and saying that he can be coached. And like I think we're going to find out if that's actually true very, very quickly. Yeah, I look at the Packers and I see a, a way that it all works out. Right, I, I'm skeptical. I'm not a fan of Rodgers, his behavior necessarily in the past. But you look at, there's an article recently that came out. Devontae Adams is really excited. And I do believe Matt LaFleur is going to create a creative offense that takes less pressure off Aaron Rodgers to make great throws and gets guys far more open the same way that the, the Rams. You watch the Rams, they have guys wide open because of their scheme and their design. I think Matt LaFleur could do something similar. And now let's shift into their free agent moves because I really love what the Packers did in free agency. Bring in, bringing in Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, two guys, two edge rushers from the outside. They brought in Adrian Amos, safety from the Bears. They really bolstered their defense, at least that's the appearance to me. And it seems like they fixed their two giant problems. Their defense has some new players. They're going to bring a, a new look defense, and they're going to have a better offense that relies less on Rodgers. There's a way this all works out. Does that seem right to you? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think if you're a Packers fan heading into the season, you're optimistic. And as optimistic as you have been in, in the past couple of years. I mean, obviously, two years ago, you know, the Packers go 7-9. and nine, But under Aaron Rodgers, they were 4-1 and one before he gets, you know, his, his collarbone yeah. broken uh, by Anthony Barr. And then last year, I think, was a real slap in the face for every single Packers fan. Because every time that, like, we didn't make the playoffs or we really struggled, it was, oh, Aaron Rodgers is not playing. Right? Like, he's injured yeah. or he, he's just not, he's not there. Obviously, you had the injury week one against the Bears, but he was out there every single week. Yeah. And to, for you to not make the playoffs with an Aaron Rodgers-led team, I think that opened a lot of eyes. And even potentially to the front office saying, okay, like this isn't sustainable anymore because you relied yeah. on this guy for so long. We need to give him help. Like yes. this team... This team's not about Aaron Rodgers. Like, at the end of the day, like, Aaron Rodgers is going to eventually retire. Hopefully when he's, like, 95, <laughs> but he's eventually going to retire. 
And like, if that happened today, like we're screwed. And we're like, we're, we're in the dark ages. Like we are in the cellar. Like <laughs> that's, that. that's, that's just the reality. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't and, win without him. I've been him. saying that for years. Yeah. Yeah. You, you couldn't, you literally could not win without him. It's and obviously, you know, Deshaun Kaiser, we, I, I, I don't know about oh. Deshaun Kaiser. It, it's, but then before that, like you had Mike McCarthy being like, well, we got Brett Huntley. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, like, that means okay. nothing to us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, okay. And, you know, because listen, Brett Huntley, before he actually played regular season football, <laughs> he was a really good preseason guy. And he was yeah. like throwing touchdown after touchdown. And he was chewing lots of bubble gum. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, here we go. And people were, I, I swear, people were like, oh, you better, you know, you get bench Rogers when he's not doing well. Like, these were actual things that were being said by Packers fans. And they're like, put Huntley in. And we oh. had a season of Huntley, and we're like, we have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Just like the worst mistake possible. Yeah. And so I, I think now, you know, obviously we got rid of HaHa Clinton Dix yeah. um, last year, which I think was a great move. Well, why do you think that? I, why do you think so? Because why? I think that he. Well, I think he never he never met the expectations mm. for being a first round pick yeah. uh, for the Packers. He was like, always he a disappointment. He wanted him to be exactly like, and that's the thing. It wasn't that he didn't make plays because he did. He had a bunch of interceptions. He had a lot yeah. more interceptions than Adrian Amos. Like sure. that that wasn't the thing. It was just that the ebbs and flows. Like he was either like really good or <laughs> really bad. Yeah, and so. Like, you can even see, like, when he went, he went to Washington, like, I think he was playing against Dallas. Like, he got burnt bad for, like, yeah. I think, like, an 80-yard touchdown at one point. And, and that's the kind of hot Clinton dick that you had. What I love about signing Adrian, and one reason I do love it is because we got a fourth-round pick, and he was a free agent at the end of this year. Yeah. So, like, I, I love the value that we got for him. But at the end of the day, getting a guy like Adrian Amos, I don't, I don't know if he's a pro bowler, right, because we'll, we'll see. I, I don't. I don't think so right at this moment. But I think the biggest thing that Amos brings to that backfield is just some damn consistency. Yeah. And that has been lacking for so long. And listen, like I love guys like Tremont Williams, but they're 105 years old. You know, they're <laughs> they're a band aid to the problem. Yeah. And, and and a guy like Adrian Amos just brings that consistency. You draft a guy like Darnell Savage, and you bring you bring him in, who is that hard hitting ball hawk who will make those big plays that Amos won't make. But he will be like that that anchor in the backfield. So I absolutely love that signing uh, for the safety position because right we went from safety being like one of our worst positions to now pretty damn solid. So I'm now like I'm actually kind of looking forward to our defense, which is something I never said. <laughs> oh, that's that's that feel, probably feels really good as a Packers fan because that's been a, a stain on your guys. Oh, it's been for years. It's been awful. You know, it's funny looking back on a ha-ha Clinton Dix, even in college, like his scouting report said, this guy's a high risk, high reward player who makes outstanding plays. And then sometimes just gets badly beat. He's out of position because he's a kind of def- defender who will take risks. Uh, similar to Marcus Peters, actually, with, this, uh, with the Rams. One plays safety, one plays corner, but they take more risks to try to get bigger plays. And often it, it, it costs them. And so I, I love that. I never thought of that. Adrian Amos is a more consistent package uh, and safety that he brings to the Packers defense. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Do you have any yeah, other insight? Uh, so, Go ahead. No, I said like, I'm, I'm super stoked about that, and I think like even the signing of like the rushers with the Smiths. Yeah. The number one stat that that stood out to me immediately was that both Smiths combined had more pressures on the quarterback last year than all of the Packers defense. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, I'm sold. Like you oh. know, I know we gave them a crap ton of money and gave a lot of money up front, but I'm okay with that because. You have guys like Kyler Fackrell, who had a breakout season last year, yeah. who you know got double-digit sacks, and that's wonderful, that's great. 
I don't, I don't think he's the future of that position, though. And I think you bring in guys who have established themselves. We're paying them for their potential. It's not necessarily their body of work that they've already done. But I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what this Packers defense brings. And I think Mike Pettin, who now has a number of talented players, is going to throw a whole lot of different schemes and offenses. And I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what it looks like. Well, they're also front-loaded deals. So if they don't work out early on, you can cut ties with them later. Uh, and it'll cost you early, but I actually like the way they structured their contracts contracts with both of those guys. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, I think it's like a typical Packers thing. And and what I think it speaks to me again is that we're we're starting to venture into that. Okay, we need to win while we still have Aaron Rodgers on this team, <laughs> yes. but we're not going to bankrupt ourselves, you know, because we want to stay in it. You know, we're not going to pay like eighty four million dollars guaranteed to a quarterback or anything. What idiot would do that? But. Um, Vikings. It's um, it's just a matter of like, okay, I think now we we actually have a defense that could potentially be threatening in some way, shape, or form. Well, well, we're talking about pass rushers. Can we shift gears now to the draft? Because the Packers drafted Rashawn Gary, a defensive end out of Michigan, and it the pick surprised me, but not for the reason everyone in the media was like, oh, he shouldn't have been rated that high, and I don't care about ratings. What surprised me more was that they addressed that both of those with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith. They addressed addressed the problem of having edge rush edge rushers in free agency, and is it a bit redundant? Am I crazy? Like, why why do you think they drafted uh, Rashawn Gary, and do you think it's redundant to you? Okay, so I I, I did I did a thing on Rashawn Gary, yep. and what uh, what I personally and obviously he got double teamed a lot. That yeah. that was a thing, and then that will lead to a lesser performance. Absolutely, and he also had an injury. Whatever. But the thing that I didn't like about Rashawn Gary, just looking at his tape, was that he, he he had that quickness, he had that speed, but unless he got to that quarterback, like when he was able to get around the, the tackle, that was it. He, like he constantly got pushed to the outside, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Yeah. But that being said, when we're talking about if it's redundant, I don't think it is just because I think it's kind of looking at the future of like, within the next year of what that defense is going to be yeah. looking like. So, for example, like we have Mike Daniels, right, who is like a, our staple defensive end, and he's gonna he only has one more year on the contract. I don't think the Packers are going to resign him next year. I don't think he's going to be on the team. Yeah. And then right behind him, you have Dean Lowry, who uh, you know he has his like his moments, but not not a, a the future of that position. And then obviously we got rid of Clay Matthews, right? And so if you look at this. Darius Smith is probably going to line up on one side as a defensive end, and then you're going to have Mike Daniels on the other. I would assume that you're going to have, like, maybe the left outside linebacker will be Preston Smith. And then you have the right outside linebacker, who I'm assuming is going to be Gary if they don't put Sackville in there. Yep. But what I what I do like about the Gary pick, though, and it's, I see this more and more, is that he's versatile. Because, hell, we can put him as inside linebacker if we really wanted to. Yeah. And considering that, like, right now we have, like, Oren Burks as our inside linebacker and our middle linebacker is Blake Martinez. And Martinez needs to step up. And I, and I liked Oren Burks a lot coming out of college, but he hasn't really lived up to that either. So I think this is a matter of, okay, we, we, we signed two guys, right? We got them out of free agency that we know can play. Now let's get this third guy in here. We'll move him around the field. And wherever he could do the most damage, he'll do the most damage. And worst case scenario, if, you know, for a year he's not like this bona fide stud because he's not in the right position, then you have next year where another defensive end spot opens up with Mike Daniels leaving, and you can always fill him in there or throw the Smith in there and then move him to outside linebacker again. So I think it's just a matter of, for the first time in a very long time, like we have depth at an outside linebacker position. 
because Clay, every Packers fan will know, we moved Clay Matthews, who was dominant as an outside linebacker, to the inside just because we had nobody to stop the run. And so now that there's actually some depth of that position, while I can see it being somewhat redundant, I, I see it more as like a depth pick. And that might be a little bit high for you know the number 12 pick in the NFL draft, but you know if, if Gary pans out, then I, then I think we're in good shape. Also, I'd love to explain for people uh, who may not know football as well. There's a way to get all three, both the Smiths and Rashawn Gary on the field at once. The Packers run a 3-4, which means that they have three down linemen and four linebackers. So two guys and a defensive and roughly positioned lineup head up on tackles. A defensive tackle lines up on the center. Two interior uh, linebackers have the center, the, the both guards responsibility for that gap. And then there are two outside linebackers farther to the outside. That's how the Packers defense works. So you could potentially have two guys standing up and two guys down on the edge and have all three of them on the field at the same time. Um, I, I, I just, yes, I like that. I didn't know he was, I, I haven't done a lot of research under Rashawn Gary. I'll be honest. That's why I look to you. Um, I like the fact that he sounds versatile and I'm excited to see how they use him. And I, I think, is there anything in preseason you, you would look forward to? Um, with with the way they run their defense and with the way they line things up, do you think? I, I guess maybe uh, I don't know how you would answer this. You haven't prepared for this, but I'm excited to watch in free, uh, preseason how they line guys up, and and I'll do a story on it very early in the year if I can, because that's what most fascinates me is how they get all of those guys on the field at the same time. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's going to be absolutely fascinating, and and you mentioned like the three four defense. What that that's usually typically what the Packers run. And Petten has been very vocal about that saying like, I'm not going to run a traditional three, four, like mm. I am going to change scenes and I am going to throw mm. a bunch of different looks at people, which, which that like, that gets me excited. I'm like, yes, like absolutely. <laughs> because like, you, like I think Petten with our, with the, the players that he had last year did the very best that he could. I yeah. like the job that Petten did. Now you give the guy a bunch of talent. Like I'm really excited to see what he does because our nose tackle Right, Kenny Clark, who is I love that man. He's so young and, and he's just dominant at that position. Yeah. And I think it's it's just a matter of whether you have all three of them on the field at once or hell, I mean like if you have a rotational kind of deal going on too, like and you just have consistently these vicious pass rushers going for the QB, I mean like they'll they'll never get a break. Like I, I see this kind of as a win win either way, whether you see these guys as, as three down players or the rotational guys and just keeping them fresh. I think we have, we have that opportunity now and we have that potential. And so with that, that opens up the door for a number of different schemes. It opens for a number of different looks. And that's what I think I'm most excited about. So yeah, I'm really curious to see if just where people are going to line up in preseason. I'm curious to see if they're just going to throw Gary on the outside, if they're going to push him to the inside, if they're going to put him down as a defensive end, because for him, it, it seems like the, the sky is endless and we already have guys who are definitely going to be defensive ends and outside linebackers. So I think Gary right now is the wild card. And, and I'm curious to see what they, they do with him. And I know Matt LaFleur some, did like some workouts with him when he, he was in college and he was really impressed with him. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. That's awesome. Man. What about the rest of the draft class? Is, did anything else stand out to you? Yeah. So the, when we traded down, which again, already like, we're like, Whoa, hold on now. Things are getting crazy here. <laughs> the Packers uh, made a move. Got, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I like. I really like about Gutkunst. And I think that that's, something that Packers fans like just see him as like a breath of fresh air because yeah. you're like, Oh, like he's doing things. The new Packers um, we, general we, manager. Yes. And I love him. Um, but we, we traded both our fourth round picks. And one of those was 
you know, that's what we got for Ha Clinton Dix, yeah. to move up uh, a bunch of spots with the Seahawks, and we got Darnell Savage at safety. And I think that, again, that just made that backfield even more aggressive. And he reminds me a lot of, like, Nick Collins. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you go back and look at, like, the 2010 Super Bowl-winning Packers, that defense, they were, yes, like the Ben don't break. Like, they gave up a bunch of yards, but good God, did they cause so many turnovers. Yeah. And that is a, a piece that has just been missing for such a long time. And obviously, we, we struck gold, or at least what we hope, with Jair Alexander last year. He played yeah. very, very well. Um, we're, we're still hoping, you know, like Josh Jackson is able to step up and, but he's, he's a new guy. Like he's brand new. He barely played in college, had an amazing year in college, but that's why I didn't want to pick him in the first round. And we got him in the second. And I, I think that that pick I really liked because again, it just made that safety position even better. But I also like the fact because one of the biggest things that we needed to do was also address the offensive line. And we did this in free agency with signing Billy Turner, who, you know, could go, he, he's also a versatile guy. He's, he's an offensive guard, lineman like from the Broncos. Yes, and he could play right guard, which we need. I mean, he could also play right tackle if Fulada, yeah. who most likely is not going to be coming back next year. Um, but getting Elton Jen- Jenkins was a was a good move. I, everything about him impressed me, and, and looking at his tape and looking at his stats, I absolutely love that pick because while we address the defensive side of the ball, like you need to protect Darren Rodgers, and considering that every single year someone in our offensive line goes down and we just kind of are like, Hey, ball boy, come here and stand here and protect Aaron Rodgers. Because we have, like, nobody at the end of the day. And there's just not a lot of depth there. And so, again, I like that depth pick um, of just shoring up the offensive line. It's not like a a sexy pick, right? It's not like, oh, man, like, he's so good. It's it's an offensive lineman, but, you know, just like the Cowboys didn't pick Johnny Manziel a few years ago to to shore up their offensive line, like, that paid – dividends for them so i think it's it's the same exact kind of thing like at at the end of the day you do need to win the game in the trenches yeah the packers to me are maybe the most fascinating like when i do my preseason predictions show they're they are improved all around the all around the field offensive line's a little better their defense is far better they have a new coach with new play design and it really is going to come down to like do you believe it's going to work or not like when i pick games and i go through this game's a win this game's a loss this game's a win it's do you believe that everything's going to come together or not? I mean, it's really it's because the the pieces are there. If you want to have faith in the Packers, you definitely can, and that's exciting for me as a football fan in general. Is man, the Packers have a great defense. They have a new head coach, and they still have Aaron Rodgers, who is an MVP level quarterback. My gosh, they're just one of the most intriguing teams around the NFL for me. Um, how do you feel about them going into next year? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. There, the <laughs> my heart says, oh, of course we're gonna win the Super Bowl. Zach. Like, of <laughs> yes. course, obviously, yes. like every single year. But I mean, I also wouldn't be completely surprised if we don't make the playoffs. And mm. I and I I know a lot of people will be upset about that. Yeah. But you know, all the things that you just said, as they can be taken as positives, I think they could also be huge wild cards. And that you do have a brand new offensive coordinator, you have a brand new head coach, you have a bunch of brand new players. And while there's a lot of of good stuff to look forward to at the same time. Like when we drafted all, like every wide receiver in the draft last year and everyone's like, Oh man, look at all like the potential that these guys have. And they're going to be such these big playmakers. And they didn't like, they, they just flat out did. They didn't gel with Aaron Rodgers and and what have you. And you, and they relied just on Devonte Adams. And even like you have articles coming out this week saying like Devonte Adams, that uh, Rodgers wants to give him the ball even more. So, you know, because that's, that's his one guy that's left. 
Yeah. It's him. And I think the other guy who's going to have a huge year is Toronto Allison. He was on his way to having a really good year last year and then he got injured. But like those two guys are the familiars. They're the guys who have been there with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers knows what kind of routes they're going to run, what they're able to catch, et cetera. And while I think that some of these receivers are going to take like that sophomore step, I think it, I think it is very contingent on, are they going to be able to adapt? But again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Rodgers doesn't put up amazing numbers. And that might not necessarily be a bad thing because Matt LaFleur and Hackett are all about running that ball. Mm. And they are talking about, you know, doing it by committee. Obviously they, they drafted Dexter Williams and they already have Jamal Williams. And of course they have Aaron Jones. I think you're going to see a lot of ground and pound. Mm. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think no. it's going to be a very different Packers from what you're used to seeing. And I think it, it's a, a step in the right direction because again, you can't just have Aaron Rodgers win the game for you all the time. When he wins, like when you put him in a position to say, Hey, Listen, we're down, we're down three. You need to go and win us the game. Absolutely phenomenal. But when you're down 21 and you're like, hey, Aaron, you need to go win us the game, like that's just, it's not feasible. You can't continue that as we've been doing for quite some time. Yeah. Well, Tom, that's all I have, man. We did 29 minutes, almost 30 minutes, man. Thank you so much. I'm such a big fan of you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and do a phone call and get it on the show. Um, I... I just want to say, man, I, I remember when I started making content, you were out there. You were, and I've always looked up to you and admired you the way, A, the way you make content and the way you carry yourself and conduct yourself online is just totally admirable. And I think on the YouTube sports community, especially when, when it's football-related content, you are a, an absolute role model to me and I think an absolute role model to everyone else around YouTube. And I just, like, I, I just am so honored to have you on the show and I'm such a big fan of you. And I, I hope you know that if you ever need anything, if you ever need an ally, if something goes down, I don't know. I have your back, and I, I just love what you do. I'm a big fan of you and who you are. Thanks so much, man. I, I really appreciate that. And I, and I promise, if I ever get into a bar fight, I will call you. And I'll Please be like, listen, I know, you, I know you play quarterback, so let's go. Like, let's put that arm to the test, and let's start throwing rockets at these people. No, I, I really appreciate it. And the, the success that, you, that you've had is, is well, well-earned. The, the content that you put out is some of the best analytical work that, that I have seen, especially especially compared to people who make far more money than we do yes. uh, and get paid to do this stuff, you know, and they don't have their stuff copyrighted every five seconds oh. because, you know, we, we have a 10-second clip from college football in there. No, I, uh, I really appreciate what you do. I really appreciate, you know, you bringing me on the show, and uh, I wish you nothing but success, but regardless, you're going to find it. So, By the way, before we go, can I ask you a question? That month leading up to the NFL draft, I've never seen anybody push content out. And not only did you make a video every day, you made high-quality content for like a month straight. It seems like every day you made a video. How? What was that like? I mean, did you just kill yourself? I, I just was so shocked. I could not believe what I watched. And I know you took a break at, at a much-deserved break. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> – Here's the thing. So, like, right after the season ended, so this mm. this year for for the show, has, as as you did, like, it, it it went very well. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I did like some reaction videos that did really really well. Hilarious. And then the draft. Yeah. And then the draft came. Yeah. And and last year, and I saw people who hound me about this. Last year, that was my first year actually covering the draft. Like, mm. I I I knew not. I don't watch college football. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know a whole lot about the draft. And yeah. last year, I was kind of like all right, yeah, I'll put some mock drafts together, you know, we'll make some predictions and, and that will be that. But this year I was like, okay, we, I have a bigger platform. I really want to commit to this. Yeah. Little did I know when I, when I committed to it, I was like, oh, that means for two straight months, I'm going to put out at least five videos a week 
and cover a different player every single day. And, and, and again, like I, I have a full-time job (laughs) that that's not this. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, I didn't see my wife a lot and it was, it was brutal, but it was one of those things that like I was exhausted. Like I was legitimately mentally, physically just, just worn out. And then we streamed every single day of the draft except the last one. And we put videos on every guy that came out. Like, and we, and I did all that, but I, I have to say, even though like I would, I would wake up, you know, five o'clock in the morning, go to work, come back at like four or five and then work until about 10 or 11 o'clock every single night. It, it kind of just got into this like consistent groove of like, Oh, and I have to tell you, like I learned so many things about like college football that I had no idea about <laughs> before. Like yeah. I, I put out that Devin white video and I like I looked, I was watching his highlights and I'm like, man, everyone's so high on Devin white. Let me look at his highlights and see how great he is. <laughs> and I noticed like his tackling wasn't great. And I was yeah. like, Oh crap. Like I'm actually going to have to say something that's not going to be popular on this. And you were spot and, like, on by the way the about thing. that. I, I watched that video. You were spot on. And, and yeah, it was one of those things that, again, like I, I'm not an analyst or, or and, I, and I was very clear about that from the beginning. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. listen, this is my opinion. I could be very wrong and I'm okay with that, but yeah. this is what I'm seeing. And so I, what I, what I found was cool is that that entire first round, I was like, Oh, I know that guy who was drafted. Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> Except like, you know, when the, the giants were drafting random people that I had no idea about, like, you know, <laughs> they were reaching into the other, the other rounds, but I was like, okay, whatever. But it was, um, it, it was it was cool that I got to get kind of like dive into a new experience, but utterly exhausting in every shape, form, what have you. And it was one of those things that after I was done, like, and the first day that I didn't make a video after two straight months <laughs> of doing it nearly every single day, like, it felt like I was doing something wrong. Yeah. Like, I had like two hours of free time and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I, I took a break for spring football and I, I didn't, I just felt horrible it's very yeah. weird to take a break and then get and then it's even harder sometimes to get back in i know that for me building the rhythm again when you're going so hard for so long it's hard to get back into it again it's a, a totally weird I, I don't think i've ever been through anything quite like it yeah it, it, it definitely is like the the month of like late august all the way up until like february you're going non-stop <laughs> then there's like a little bit of a break but then I, and at least that's what i thought and then it was just two straight months of draft stuff and now i'm in this period of like all right, like I should do a video, but I also want to sleep so much. <laughs> yeah. did, you, did you take Jade <laughs> so, out like, to dinner? Uh, I did multiple times and good. apologized. Oh, for good. Because <laughs> like she would literally, she would be like upstairs. And she's like, I'm going to go to bed now. And I was like, all right, I'll be there in like three hours. <laughs> so, and it's like know, two in the morning again, already. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like, and as you know, you know, when you're the, when you're the, the guy, when, yeah. when you're the one doing the research, the filming, the editing, oh. the editing's the worst. It's, it's yeah. the worst. If yeah. there's one job I could take away, it'd be the editing, but yes. I'm so ridiculously like on top of that. And I'm like, okay, it needs to be done this way and this way and this way. Yeah, I don't know if I would it, trust another just, person to edit the way I do. That's the problem. Like, Yeah, I've thought about that and it drives me. Like, I, I don't think I physically could do it. And they probably could do a much better job <laughs> yeah. than I could. Same, same. Because I, I'm all, it's just all self-taught. All self-taught. <laughs> yeah. Like it, like I still have days where they're like, Tom, we can't hear you. The mic is off. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Sorry. It's only been five years. So it's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing But when you're doing it all yourself, it's, it's a, it's an investment of just time and energy, but I think that's what makes it so rewarding. And I mean, like, even when you and I spoke briefly, 
you know, before you blew up. And it was one of those things that, you know, a year and a half ago, I'd be super happy if a hundred people watched my, my, yeah. my, my episode. Like I was stoked. Like I remember going up to Jade and being like, we hit a hundred. Like, and that was like a, a moment of pride for me. And I still remember this first episode that hit over a hundred. And I literally was like running around the house. I was so excited. <laughs> and it, it's just one of those things that, and obviously as you continue to grow and you get this bigger and bigger platform, you know, it kind of meshes together a little bit. Like, you know, you're like, Oh, we're at 20,000. Oh, we're at 30,000. Like it kind of just like, Oh, it's just numbers. Yeah. So, like in the beginning, like when nobody's watching your stuff and you are doing the same amount of work, you know, for every single episode, you know, it, it's one of those things and, and people start to watch, like there's no feeling like that of like, wow, like it's a little bit of validation. Like, and, yeah. and you're just like, man, after all this hard work, finally, finally, like someone, someone's <laughs> noticing. Well, Tom, here's what I'd love to do. I'm going to make a season prediction show in early August. I'd love to let you watch it and then bring you back on to get your reaction to my prediction for the Packers. I think that'd be really fun. And then I'm going to take a, a month and a half, or two and a half months off. I take 10 weeks off because I play college football. And around Thanksgiving is when I'll get back into the groove and start making NFL content again from September to Thanksgiving. I won't make any content. And I'd love to reconvene in August and then again after Thanksgiving and talk about the Packers. Because I'm a big fan of you. I, I love having you on the show. And if I can promote you and help you, I, I, I love doing that because I love who you are and how you do it. Absolutely, man. And, and I really appreciate that. And listen, you know, even though you won't have those, those two months of content, I mean, your Instagram stories keep, keep, <laughs> they're yeah. long. Like, they're like every, I'm like, oh, look, Zach posted a story. Oh, there's 65 of them. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing for the next three minutes. <laughs> I was like, oh, he loves his school again. That's so nice. Like, it's so wholesome. Of yeah. You're just like, oh, man, I, I took a picture of this tree. Like, how beautiful. And I'm like, wow, that school is really freaking nice. <laughs> Dude, that's the only way. I just love sharing who I am, man. And it's I just love being myself. And I, it's fun that my stories have become a thing. I've actually had companies reach out recently saying, can you wear our T-shirts and drink our drink on the on, <laughs> I'm like, am I going to make money making my Instagram story? Like, what the heck? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's the literal dream. The exactly. literal dream. 100%. Well, man, thank you so much. That's all I have. And I just want to say uh, you know, you're awesome and, and keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. And, um, yeah, let me know when it is, whenever this comes out. And of course we'll, we'll blast it on all the, all the social medias and all the LA great stuff. But I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I'm putting it out tomorrow. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thanks, Take Zach. Take care, bud. Bye. Oh man. Ah, that, that was awesome. I, I, uh, I love Tom Grassi so much. Um, good dude. And, uh, I learned a lot about the Packers today. I, I think that they are one of the most fascinating teams. And one of the teams that I, I, I don't know how to judge them. I don't know if they are like when I do my beginning of the season prediction show, you know, my, in August, my, uh, my season preview, I don't know what to make of the Packers. Cause they're so on, like, I can either go really safe and say they're going to su- going to be like eight and eight or 10 and six, or I could say they're going to be 13 and three, or you could even make an argument. They'll be six and 10 and be terrible. It, they're the one of the most interesting and intriguing teams, and I, I still have not figured out in my head how I'm gonna, uh, where I'm gonna list them in, in their division and in and their in the NFC in general. Uh, but man, Tom is. Please go follow Tom. He's at Tom Grassi Comedy on every social media. He is legitimately one of the best dudes I know. Um, he's been supporting me since you know way before I had. When I was at like a thousand subscribers, he reached out and was very kind to me, and that's it. Just shows volumes of who he is as a person and what kind of things. And that that interview with him has been a long time in the making and so uh guys thank you so much for tuning in and uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna cut now back to the rest of the podcast but man i i just uh i love 
Uh, I love Tom, and, and thank you for listening. All right. Um, thank you so very much for listening to that. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I enjoy Tom. His energy as a person is just awesome, right? He just has this radiance. He's a really cool dude. There are dogs barking in the background. I just was like, hey, who cares? It's, it's Tom Grassi at his finest. Um, he's a great human. I truly love the guy. We have kind of you know, like a budding bromance. And uh, please remember to subscribe. First to me, subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes and YouTube. I don't know how the hell you're at this point in the podcast, the end of either a 40-minute breakout or the end of a, an entire uh, two-hour podcast. Either way, you know where to subscribe to me. But more importantly, subscribe to Tom. Great, great podcaster, great YouTuber, uh, a guy who does it right and works really hard. And so please help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Tell your friends about the show and um, do me a favor. Uh, please follow me on Instagram, at Zach Schaumler on Instagram. I'm trying to get to 10,000 followers. It would be a huge help. All right, guys. Uh, love you guys, and uh, bye. I just want to say thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, this is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And uh, my dream is to someday build Strong Opinion Sports into a company that I can run as my full-time job. And if you believe in me, if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Um, another way you can help if you want to, no pressure. Um, I have a PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. I also have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It'd be a huge help. Uh, that's my only source of income. If you have no money, no problem though. I don't care. I, I'm a broke college kid myself. I know what it's like. Um, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, man, I don't expect anything. I just really, it'd be a huge help if you could tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. That's the number one way you can help this show is help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.